Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this Advocate Session episode of the Aquademia Podcast, where we take 10 with the Responsible Seafood Advocate. I'm joined once again by the editor of the Advocate, Jamie Wright. How's it going, Jamie? Doing great, John. How are you doing? Good. Good to be back. Took a couple weeks off. Yeah, I had a little summer vacation. It was nice. Nice. I, I, I wish I could do that. Sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> you can one day. Even the vacations don't feel like vacations for me. <laughs> when you have little three kids. little girls yeah. at home. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get right into it because we've got some cool stuff to talk about this week and uh, i'm sure you're excited to share what you have coming up so first of all something that this first article is about something that everyone should have in their household right yeah they should already have this (laughs) up Uh, you should all have a kelp dryer in your house an industrial (laughs) kelp dryer this is a more seaweed news you know we love seaweed news around these parts and if you've heard me on this podcast and you've probably heard me say something about how much i love maine and where i'm from and where i can so uh this week we did you we ran a story that gave us Yet another reason to love the pine tree state. Uh, this is a story about sharing, about collaboration. It's a simple, quick story, really, about a kelp farmer in Maine who bought this industrial-sized kelp dryer from South Africa and then immediately immediately thought that other producers would like to use it too. Uh, dehydrated kelp is in far greater demand than frozen kelp, according to Mitchell Lynch, the CEO of Ocean's Balance in Biddeford, Maine. That's where your uh, our co-host, Justin, lives, by the way, with his bees in Biddeford. He said that uh, blanching and freezing kelp really kind of places a limitation on your business options. Mm. So, uh, you know, because 90% of the global kelp market is dried kelp. Right. So get with the program, he figured. And uh, now with this one machine, you know, mathematically at least, I, it, it can handle pretty much all the kelp that Maine is producing right now. So last year, the state passed 1 million pounds. Of production last year, if I'm not mistaken, um, this dryer has the capacity to dry three million pounds of kelp per year. So three mains, three mains, three, three mains worth of kelp. Not, not bad. That's pretty good. It's 50 feet long, weighs 17 tons, costs 650 thousand dollars, and uh, and it uses belts to dry the kelp at low temperatures. Which and then this preserves the nutritional properties of the sea plants and prevents loss, damage to the blades. Um, you know, special thanks to the correspondent. Lauren Kramer for her uh, reporting on this article. It's a pretty fun one. Pretty cool. Cool stuff. And the, and you actually have a photo of it in that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's bigger than a Winnebago. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I'd say so. Awesome. Well, we got something uh, coming up on deck that's not a region that we talk about too often. What do we got coming up next week? Yeah. Well, yeah. Next, next week brings us something I'm really um, excited about. It is a challenge to be a U.S.-based English-speaking reporter trying to cover a global industry and to do a fair job of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are some underreported regions of the world, for sure, and one of them is Africa. So I'm always on the lookout for good stories to talk about there. So next week we'll have two, and uh, there'll be an Afri- aquaculture and Africa-themed issue next week. Thanks, thanks again to Miss Kramer. Uh, she has a really cool story about this company called Aquaret. I hope I'm pronouncing that. Correctly, it's A-Q-A, A-Q-U-A-R-E-C-H. So I saw AquaRetch founder and CEO David Okech, Okech speak at the Blue Food Innovation Summit in London a couple months back. Uh, he was one of six companies. They were labeled as startups, but they're probably you know well beyond that by now. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing quick pitches to the audience, which included a lot of investors. 
So you like a kind of a Shark Tanky kind of yep. part of the program. So this app that Aquarech developed is connecting catfish farmers in, in Kenya with uh, with smartphones to much needed resources like feed, financing, insurance, reliable sales channels. Um, Aquarech is offering them all of those things and is setting up you know the, a network of user, users on a path for success. It, it really reminds me of the work that our friend Raj is doing in in India with AquaConnect. Mm-hmm with the shrimp industry there, but here you have Aquarech is also buying the fish directly back from the producers, giving them a, you know, a level of security they've uh, struggled to achieve previously. So that's a really, really great story. That'll be up on Monday. And uh, I personally spoke to Francisco Murillo. He's the CEO of Tropo Farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Francisco is the father of one of our colleagues here at GSA, or Rebecca Coronella Ni Murillo. <laughs> which is an interesting footnote. Rebecca works on our program integrity team here at GSA. Um, so I saw Mr. Murillo present also at the summit in London, and you know there, we met in the hotel restaurant, chatted for a bit, and then we followed up with a call last month. Really interesting guy. Uh, we spoke about the company's near-term future, which could be quite a change from you know the company's first 25 years of operation. So they're producing 12,000 metric tons of fish now with aims to double that. And they're seeking outside investors for the first time, uh, adopting new technologies, some automation, uh, building the Volta Catch brand in Ghana. And uh, Ghana is a thriving seafood market. It's, there's 33 million people there, and, and seafood consumption is a robust 25 kilos per capita. So you, you know, the U.S. is less than half of that. Yeah, yeah. So you know, all, the, all Volta Catch fish is sold in Ghana. Um, Lake Volta is really interesting place. This is the world's largest man-made reservoir in terms of surface area. It's huge. If you look at it, the map of Ghana, it's it's the dominant feature of the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my article on Tropo Farms and its you know relatively new CEO, Francisco Murillo, he's been there almost two years, but probably feels like a whirlwind for him. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it'll be full of fun facts like that on on Lake Ghana and uh, Lake Lake Volta in Ghana. So look for that on Monday too. It's it's always just really great to see like new connections of mine become stories. Right. Pretty cool. And uh, let's hop in the Wayback Machine, and but stay in Africa. Yeah, we're going to stay in Africa for the Wayback Machine uh, this week. So I always, you know, relish the chance to give, you know, a platform to really, you know, smart people with great ideas, especially those who believe in aquaculture done responsibly. It's a passion of ours, so, you know, you understand. And, you know, we're on the subject of Africa, so let's turn back the clock six years, uh, 2017. I did a two-part story on investing in aquaculture in Africa. And, you know, I spent a fair amount of time addressing the question of what Africa's future in aquaculture could or would or should look like. Mm -hmm. So a question that I posed to uh, many of my sources for for those articles at the time, uh, you know, was along the lines of, can Africa's aqu- aquaculture industry look like Southeast Asia's? You know, uh, should it? Is this a possibility? Is this what Africa wants or needs? And by, and, you know, and by this comparison, I mean, can it be an export-driven producer region like Thailand with shrimp and other nations in the region, or like China has the capacity, capacity to be with multiple species? So not just subsistence or strictly for the domestic market or extensive aquaculture, but intensive and resource dependent, you know, using commercial feeds, energy, 
meeting HACCP standards, cold chain infrastructure, that whole the whole nine yards. Yep. You know, I asked Anton Immink, um, a longtime aquaculture expert and consultant who now has his own outfit called Think Aqua, uh, to write about this very question. He was with um, Sustainable Fisheries Partnership yep. at the time. So, you know, and yes, Anton believed that Africa could be, you know, quote unquote, the next Asia. If the goal were to have, you know, stronger sector management to prevent environmental and disease-related challenges, and if the right investments could be made, you know, if effective governance put in place, and a lot of patience for these things to develop, and, and you know, if the many limiting factors could be overcome, then yes. But he also said, like, let's address those big obstacles first and worry about aquaculture investment later. So uh, I'd like a, one quote from his article. Uh, the waste of money is upsetting, but what really fr- frustrates me is the perpetuation of the myth that just a little more investment in some technical solutions will solve the problem. The money would be better spent on education, roads, sanitation. Come back to aquaculture when the real limiting factors have crossed a threshold. threshold. And mic drop. Yeah, mic drop. <laughs> that was a great guest article, and hopefully we'll have more in the future. So we'll have links to... All the stories I talked about in this week's um, session in the show notes. Fantastic. So, um, as always, the links for the available articles are in the show notes. So, make sure you go check those out and um, continue to look for more fantastic articles on The Advocate. Thank you so much, Jamie, for joining us. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) 